Do you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 films you have to see before you die. They pop up every once in a while. But tell the truth, how many have you actually seen? These movies are so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture through references and homages that you'd be forgiven for thinking that you'd actually seen them. So why not join me, Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry and even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films. And me, Joel, a man who likes films a lot but is constantly described by his friends as overly anal and picky. But I'll let you decide. Each week, we will break down and review a different film, from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces. Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated, bloated rubbish? Let's find out, as this week we discuss Apocalypse Now. This is a 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. Apocalypse Now, the 1979 film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Ooh, where do we begin with this one? I don't know. <laughs> Did you watch the full version or the theatrical version? Joel, there's four versions of this film. There's four versions. I watched the final cut and it was it was long. Yeah, I watched the theatrical cut, which I believe is 40 minutes shorter than your version. You watched Coppola's vision. That's the vision he stands by. We're going to break down, hopefully, the theatrical version, because everything in the theatrical version is in the final version. Okay. So we'll break that down, because we've both seen everything there. And then I'm fine with that. I went away and watched the scenes that have been added. So I haven't seen them in the context of the film, which I don't think I need. Spoiler. (laughs) Let's get into the plot. During the Vietnam War, burnt out Special Operations covert operative Captain Benjamin L. Willard is summoned to Field Force Headquarters in Nai Trang. He is informed that U.S. Army Special Forces Colonel Walter E. Kurtz has apparently gone insane and is waging a brutal guerrilla war against the People's Army of Vietnam without the permission from his commanders. Stationed at an outpost in Cambodia, Kurtz commands a number of troops and local tribespeople who see him as a demigod. Willard is ordered to terminate Kurtz's command with extreme prejudice. Dun, dun, dun. So the intro to this movie was amazing. Fantastic. The first like three minutes, I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Big 70s music, big intro, napalm going off in the background. Just how you start a movie. Oh, set so your expectations. Stratospheric. Doesn't it? It looks amazing. Yeah. And that soundtrack, we have to talk about the soundtrack and it'll come up more. Oh, brilliant. Oh. Best thing about the movie. Absolutely. Up there. Top five soundtracks for movies, I think. It's so good. I feel like it opens on what most people's assumption of what the Vietnam War was. And then it very quickly cuts to the reality of the Vietnam War. 
like soldiers dealing with PTSD and we're introduced to to Willard like lying on his bed trying to have like leave trying to shut off from the war and he's having mm. like flashbacks caused by the ceiling fan in his room yeah i mean that that initial like 3 minutes of that scene was really good but then that scene continues <laughs> and he starts doing some i don't know if it's supposed to be like kung fu or yoga I genuinely don't know. In his underwear, he—he's um, just detached from reality, isn't he? But like, he just starts doing these weird poses and then rolling around in glass, yeah. it, and you're just like, okay, what? Why? What's going on? I think I think it's just to show how detached from reality this person is, and I think it is why he is chosen. Yes, he's got this like covert operative special forces training but i think they've chosen someone who is dead inside basically someone who isn't going to think twice about killing kurtz yeah they've gone this man's broken if we lose him we lose him why not did you know joel harrison ford is in this i did i i i i did notice him um, his character Very name briefly. is George Lucas, Colonel George Lucas. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> I, oh, he seems so young. I would have thought this was before nope. Star Wars. This is after Star. Is about younger. I, did he? I think he may have. When was Star Wars shot? Seventy six. It's probably shot about the same time. However, it came out four years after. Um, oh. So they probably did quite well there. But yeah, so he's he's obviously named after George Lucas, who directed Star Wars and American Graffiti, that yeah. Harrison Ford starred in. Um, and George Lucas was the original director of this before he had to drop out due to a scheduling conflict. An ambivalent Willard joins a U.S. Navy river patrol boat, commanded by Chief Petty Officer Phillips, with crewman Lance, Chef, and Mister Clean to quietly navigate up the Nyung River to Kurtz's outpost. Before reaching the coastal mouth of the Nyung, they rendezvous with the 1st Squadron, 9th Cavalry Regiment, a helicopter-borne air assault unit commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Bill Kilgrove, to discuss safe passage. Kilgrove is initially uncooperative as he has not received word about their mission through the normal channels, but he becomes more engaged after discovering that Lance is a well-known surfer, the commander is an avid surfer himself and agrees to escort them through the Nyung's Viet Cong-held coastal mouth. The helicopter squadron, playing Ride of the Valkyries on loudspeakers, raid at dawn with napalm strikes. Before Kilgrove can lure Lance out to surf on the newly conquered beach, Willard gathers the soldiers to the river patrol boat to continue their mission. Lots happening there. Maybe one of the most iconic scenes in this film. Uh, for me, it's it's just the best bit of the movie. It's brilliant. This whole section is so good. Really good. Ride of the Valkyries, the helicopters with the sun in the background. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Really like this bit. I will freely admit, I know very little about the Vietnam War. Um, I know America lost I, it. And it, it gave me a good good taste of what was going on. It gave me good context of the madness that was going on that caused Willard to be the way he is. 
which is great as a like somebody from the audience to understand what what kind of madness it's caused this yeah the paranoia as well because they went over there vastly unprepared for the fact that they're invading a country where this is what these people are used to like they're used to jungles and i don't think really at any point you actually see the the vietnamese army because they are just hiding in that tree line just hunting people down i mean it's it's like arrows spears gunfire coming from nothing basically the paranoia that this must have brought on in people must have been ridiculous you'd never trust a tree again (laughs) yeah the noise of this film as well oh the sound is amazing the sound design in this is so good and at the same time so extremely uncomfortable (laughs) but brilliant it it really puts you in there doesn't it you really feel like you're there i would love to see this film on a cinema screen yes with that proper oh with the surround sound and oh my god um i love the smell of napalm in the morning classic yeah brilliant line iconic um did you notice joel who plays mr clean uh lawrence fishburne a very very young lawrence fishburne who was only 14 when shooting began because he'd lied about his age to get the role because you could do that back then yep i didn't think i thought lawrence fishburne was older I i think that is the illusion that most people have having seen him in this film 14 super unexpected the production took so long he was over 18 by the time it came out wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> between filming it editing it reshooting it 14 yeah madness. he was good though he had such good charisma on it, the screen you know what it was a good cast it was very yeah. well cast there really isn't a bad performance i don't think no there's not many standout performances. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne is good in it, but it's not a standout performance. Mm. But everyone's solid. Everyone does their job. Yeah, they've done very well here. The surfing bit's so weird. Yeah, I think it's just to add a little bit of... It's a little bit of character building, isn't it? That He's a famous oh, yeah. surfer who's been drafted in the war. Um, I think oh, I... It's good fun, isn't it? Them stealing the surfboard and humanizes willard a little bit i think that's the point isn't it yeah it just gives them a little bit it just lets you get a little bit closer to these characters but oh and i loved the oh the the contradiction of the colonel in if he's face to face with somebody he's like get that person to a hospital or let's save this child when he's face to face with them but when he's in the sky, he's just like, okay, yeah, let's just shoot up this school. Let's just blow up these houses with random people in. Well, let's napalm the tree line where people are trying to escape. Yeah, when he's... There's he a just... film crew there, isn't there, though? When he's on yeah. the beach, there's a film crew documenting what's going on. So he's acting like he cares, basically. But once, yeah, once he's up there, he's like, nah, napalm him. Just great character. Just great characterization. Very yeah. well-written characters who are believable. 
I, I just love the art that he's that lucky guy who'll never get killed. And he just stands around when everybody's being shot and stuff. Uh, yeah, and he's like, up, and he's the, just like, if the beach is safe, I say it's safe. Because they're yeah. just surfing while like, people are still getting shot behind and stuff. It's like, what is going on? Tension arises as Willard believes himself to be in command of the river patrol boat, while the chief prioritizes routine patrol objective over Willard's. Slowly making their way upriver, Willard partially reveals his mission to the chief to quell his concerns about why his mission should proceed. As Willard studies Kurtz's dossier, he is struck by the mid-career sacrifice Kurtz made by leaving the prestigious Pentagon assignment to join Special Forces, with no prospect of advancing beyond the rank of Colonel. The visuals were amazing. Amazing, amazing. I mean, uh, we all know Vietnam's an incredible place with the views, the sights, so jungle and incredible. This movie really does capture the magic of of the country, even if it's in a really bad period of time. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this really captures this. I think there's great sort of banter between, not even banter, but rubbing of shoulders between the crew of the boat and it really shows how this like little boat is their world their miniature world within the war yeah it, it's showing the the camaraderie isn't it and the the brotherhood that these characters are quite rapidly thrust upon um yeah each each i think it just goes back towards the well-written script and the characterization that's written into there and the actors performances it's just good yeah i won't lie some of the this is where like up until this point there was like nothing i would have cut this is where we start having a few sort of side questy bits which are probably the additional scenes because i'm watching the extended edition um which could have been left out um which don't add an awful lot but the, the movie keeps on moving at this point. It's still pretty strong. Yeah, it's still going forward at a good pace at this point. Um, yeah. And it's weird because the, the characters start acting sort of crazier and crazier. The cast. But I think at first I thought, oh, it's because they're getting further and further down the river. They're getting closer to the madness. It's kind of a plot thing. And the war's like taking a toll on them. But they start off relatively sane and normal and get crazy and crazier as you go. And that makes sense in the movie. But in terms of the war, those guys have been in that war for ages. Why would they go slip into madness from this one mission? Didn't really make too much sense to me. Yeah, I can see exactly what you're saying there. Sort of, if you think a little bit too deep into it, it stops making sense. Yeah, but it's sort nice of on that. for the momentum of the movie, yeah. but it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it would make sense if they were not seasoned veterans, like they hadn't been handpicked for this team. They were sort of newbies. They were disposable, who sort of yeah. weren't prepared. But yeah, these characters have been what, fighting in this war for years at this point. Yeah, so that, that didn't make sense. It was, you know when something's good and bad at the same time? Yeah, it's... You can improve on it. it. It's something that makes sense in the film, as you said, but don't dig too deep into it. 
Yeah, <laughs> don't think too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> At a remote U.S. Army outpost, Willard and Lance seek information on what is upriver and receive a dispatch bag containing official and personal mail. Unable to find any commanding officer, Willard orders the chief to continue. Willard learns via the dispatch that another Special Operations covert operative, Special Forces Captain Richard Colby, was sent on an earlier mission identical to Willard's and has since joined Kurtz. I think this section of the movie is one of the most exceptional bits of the film in terms of there's this battle for a bridge which they do every day or something they say um and there's men just walking around and no one even knows who's in charge they're just kind of firing for the sake of firing and just doing things for the sake of doing things they do they've got no idea really what's going on and it's just the 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 first scene with the flight of the valkyries and stuff like that shows like the chaos of war and then this second sort of set piece war set piece really shows the like the madness of war i thought that was really cool and effective well yeah i think it really shows sort of the flight of the valkyries you saw the front line that's the surface level of the war that's where everyone's having a bit of fun they're just napalming they've got too many resources basically and they're just doing everything because it looks good. But when you get really deep into this jungle where it is, people are just being dropped in and they're fighting people who have lived their entire lives here and they're basically being hunted. It's like a predator film. It's yeah, just, yeah. they're the prey in this situation and it they've got very little backup. They're so deep that everyone's just gone insane basically and it, it yeah yeah and and this is where the characters first reference taking acid and taking drugs whilst being in war it i think it yeah Which, it's just to, i think numb the reality well there's a long history of people taking drugs in war like world war Two was run by amphetamines on both sides uh, so it is it is common, but they're talking about dropping acid and stuff. And then you get Lance, the surfer guy, dropping acid and then going with Captain Miller and just sort of sitting, sitting places, looking around at the lights and stuff. And it's just, it's, as an audience member, it's so scary. Yeah, it's because you, and I'm amazed that nothing happened to them when that was happening. I was fully like expecting just someone to come out and stab them in the back or something yeah they don't really they're not really that engaged in the scene it's more it's almost like they're taking the camera along with them to go for an explore through this scene yeah i was they don't actually achieve anything it's literally just to take it's just to show the you audience yeah with them. it's just show it's a plot device isn't it a show set like show the audience what is going on yeah the reality of war is. That's an overarching thing that this film does really well, which, which is show and don't tell. With all these battle scenes and set pieces and stuff, it this all looks incredible. This has aged so well. Yeah, well, you're watching the final cut, which is a 4K restoration. Um, oh, okay. But, I mean, even the version I watched, was it was gorgeous. It was still, yeah. it was, yeah, 
like set piece wise cinematography wise this is a very very nice film and i can see why people like it for that i i felt like i was watching a film from the early 2000s not not the 70s well that's the joy of film and shooting on film is you can just scan it and it just keeps being up-resed because you're it's the best quality you can shoot on and you can really tell and it does add to the enjoyment of watching i think when you're watching old films the lack of quality and definition and stuff it does affect it yeah i you'd be lying to yourself if you if you didn't say that i would really love going back to my earlier point to watch this final cut like the the up-resed version or in a cinema because i think it would blow my mind how good yeah. some of these scenes look and the sound well, we've talked about this before but a lot of films and tvs like star wars and stuff uh are using these like sort of stages now and you just don't get the scale and the size like you do in this film this film feels gigantic because it is. It, it is. They Everything you're seeing is done. I don't think there is any green screen in this film. I no. think what you see is what you get there. It's all practical. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. Brilliant bit of filmmaking, for sure. Lance activates a smoke grenade while under the influence of LSD, attracting enemy fire, and Mr. Clean is killed. Further upriver, Chief is impaled by a spear thrown by locals and attempts to kill Willard by impaling him on the spear point protruding from his own chest before Willard subdues him. Willard reveals his mission to Chef, who is now in charge of the river patrol boat. Right then, so <laughs> we have one good bit at the start of this, uh, which is just, again, uh, the sort of messages from home, having the tape recording to... Uh, Clean's character and then Clean getting getting killed with the tape going that's a lovely bit of set piece another really nicely crafted movie moment which is really quite emotional but after that this is where the movie starts slipping away for me it's two quite similar scenes back to back however the first one is exactly. done so well and it has such an emotional impact on you because they're reading these letters from home and you get Mr. Clean going, oh, I've been given a tape. My my mum's recorded me a message and he's listening to it. But we're not listening to it, if that makes sense. It's just going in the background and you can hear it at all points while everyone else is sort of dealing with what's going on and then all hell breaks loose and the tape's still going. And yeah, he dies... And then it kicks into his mum being like, and we can't wait for you to come home. We're so proud of you. Your grandparents have been looking at buying you a car. And it is just, oh, it's very emotional. This had a little bit of an effect on me. I I got a little bit choked up in the back of my throat. I was just like, oh, God, what good writing. Good writing and good directing. A good editing. Like everything's done well here. And then we meet the French people. (laughs) (laughs) This section was long and didn't seem to serve any point. 
I don't know if it was as long for you, but I... suddenly we had a love interest sort of shoehorned mm. into the movie. Well, I'm I'm going to reveal to you now, Joel, that is not in my version of the film. That whole bit? Whole, not, not a single part of it is in the theatrical cut. Oh, well, that's you watched a better cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have an argument at the dinner table mm-hmm. for about seven minutes. Yeah. 50% in French, which my French is a bit dodgy. Not uh, remotely. Not a single shot of it is in the theatrical cut. Well, I'm jealous. <laughs> I wish you told me I would have skipped. <laughs> well, we, we didn't know, did we? No, no. Oh, so this whole French section. You did watch the the the, up to, uh, the bits. Yeah, books. do you want to talk about it now you or have... do you want to talk about it later when we... Yeah, we'll talk about it now. Yeah. Um, so you have a funeral for Clean. That's when I thought it was going to end, mm-hmm. that section, and they were going to get back on the boat. Yep. But then you start seeing a woman in the distance, and you go, and me as an as the audience, uh, I think you would have as well just groaned and just went, oh, for goodness sake, why do we need to... We, we are, like, two hours into this film. We don't need a love interest to suddenly appear. Correct. Can we can we just leave it? Can we just leave it? And then we get this weird dinner scene where they just argue and argue and argue. Then just the quickest romance scene I've ever seen. And it's all of it is jarring and awful. Yeah, I under I don't understand why it was put back in. Um, no, it didn't make sense. It, I I assume it is some level of sort of not character building, but trying to describe the war and why certain kinds of people in Vietnam didn't approve of others. But it, and I'm glad it wasn't in my version of the film. I just watched a clip online. But I was like, where does this go in the film? Oh, yeah, after Mr. Clean died. Oh, that's weird. That really would grind the plot to a halt. For me, as an audience member, uh, and watching this like extended cut, I just had that for like 15 minutes, which I didn't enjoy. And I started to like sort of step back from the movie. I totally lost the moment. And then I just had like the same scene again from like Clean's death to the Captain's death. Uh, and it was like the same scene again, but worse. And then I took another step back from enjoying the film. Yeah. It's... So we went into like act that and that was like an extension to act two. And then we go into act three finally. And by the time we're going into act three, this film was starting to be washed for me. So I think I I gave it less of a chance. Well, I have an issue because it's the two scenes back to back, which are very similar, it's death to a death. So I, sh- yeah. I assume he added it back in to try and split those up, but he's added in a scene that is boring and sort of brings you out of the film a little bit. And then when you're put back in, you're presented. It's lose lose basically. Yeah, You've been presented with the same scene again basically, and you go, uh, 
well yeah this is where you pulled out of the film and it is difficult to get back in at this point i i'll tell you now i'm not sure i did so you best go on with the plot <laughs> the river patrol boat arrives at kurtz's outpost an abandoned Angkor Empire temple compound teeming with Kurtz's followers and strewn with corpses and severed heads. Willard, Chef and Lance are greeted by an American photojournalist who praises Kurtz's genius. They encounter a near-catatonic Special Forces Captain Richard Colby and Willard sets out with Lance to find Kurtz. Leaving Chef with orders to call in an airstrike on the outpost if the two do not return. I mean, there's not a lot to discuss here. Um, not a lot happens. Not a it's lot. It's really quite long. It's just sort of scene building. Walk over to yeah, it's it's <laughs> oh look, he's in the temple. Here's Dennis Hopper playing a photojournalist who's a lunatic. Um and then setting up the plot point that if they don't come back, then we're just gonna bomb the place yeah simple simple moving on yeah i i I found myself sitting there going oh come on get on with it yeah it's come on it it could this could be tighter i feel oh much tighter they should have just gone straight into the final scenes they should have it's it's a weird back and forth they go back to the ship like twice when they should have just had him meet the colonel yeah it's dramatically low stake all things considered yes um, because you would think Kurtz will be on high alert but then maybe not yeah maybe not do go on in the camp Willard is bound and brought before Kurtz in a darkened temple later we see Kurtz place Chef's severed head on Willard's lap preventing the airstrike Willard is released and Kurtz lectures him on his theories of war praising the ruthlessness of the Viet Cong. Kurtz discusses his family and asks that Willard tell his son about him after his death. I mean, quite a lot happens in this bit, but then not a lot happens. Um, well, and also, this it goes from show and don't tell to tell and don't show, doesn't it? Yeah. I feel like the film does a U-turn, and... All the amazing cinematography turns into pantomime villain. I, I genuinely was shocked by this section of the film. Okay. At how poor it was. So. Especially seeing Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Brilliant. See, yeah. Brilliant. In this, it was the most lackluster baddie ever. See, yeah, we're introduced finally. We've, we've seen a picture of him earlier in the film. And you see it and I go, it's Marlon Brando. Um, but behind the scenes, Joel, Marlon Brando turned up horrendously overweight. Like mm-hmm. he had piled on the pounds since... He did look big. So they adapted how they would shoot him. So he was shot in shadow. Um, a lot of the time it was just his head in scenes. Or they used a body double to try and make him look more imposing. A taller body double. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were just sort of shooting around Marlon Brando here, who, for some reason, this is a choice he made, and he just wasn't prepared for the role, basically. And I think this third act of the film really suffers from it. He's just yeah, sort of... Yeah, really does. 
He's terrible in this. It's like someone... It's like someone's got been cast in a film and gone, what we really want you to do is an impression of Marlon Brando in The Godfather, a very good role, um, but then the actor they get isn't very good and can't really do the impression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he goes on about this whole big riff about tell my son about like the good I've done and what, I, the, 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 what I've achieved and so forth. What what did he achieve? I, I don't get what he was doing. Yeah, what have you... I don't really... He was, no he was reading poetry and people were obsessed with him. It didn't explain why the people were obsessed with him. Didn't explain what he was trying to achieve. Yeah. It, this whole this whole end bit of the movie, I was like, what? what? It's a real anticlimax. Like... Really anticlimax. Not yeah. what they should have built towards. That night, as Kurtz's followers ceremonially slaughter a water buffalo, Willard attacks Kurtz with a machete. Mortally wounded, Kurtz utters the horror, the horror, and dies. All in the compound see Willard departing, carrying a collection of Kurtz's writings, and bow down to him. Willard gathers Lance, boards the river patrol boat, and heads back downriver, away from the now leaderless soldiers and followers. The end. Is that it? That's it. Is that it? That's <laughs> how it happens. It, oh. It's just... I mean, let's talk about the water buffalo, shall we? That was, I can't believe this Sony A15. That was <laughs> that act- real? Uh, Joel, that was real, my friend. Yeah, I, I thought it that was. That was an alive water buffalo that was slaughtered on camera. And because it was filmed in the Philippines, no one cared. I found that quite uncomfortable to watch. They censored Kurtz's death, but they didn't censor a real a water buffalo literally being decapitated. I think there's more time spent on that than actual Kurtz's death. You just see him sort of swing into a shadow and you're like, he's dead. Trust us. (laughs) Anti-climax. There was no explanations as to why the followers didn't really do anything to protect him. Why he only had one guard, even though like there've been other assassins sent to him and stuff like that. I was expecting to properly meet the other assassin and for Willard and the other assassin to have a conversation as to like why he didn't assassinate him or anything. There was just so much left unsaid in this final section. At the same time, it was really long. It was so long. Almost, it got. It had to be close to an hour. Yeah. Um, of just nothing really happening. The scene where he decapitates Chef is good because you get that little yeah, scene where Chef sort of wakes up and he goes, oh, I should radio. And then it just cuts to him dropping his head on his lap. And it is horrible. It's hor- like horrible. Um... But then, when you think the plot has ground to a halt, it goes, <laughs> hold my beer, we're going to go in reverse. Which, <laughs> just more of the weird performance and weird shadows, and I couldn't really see what was going on. Just compared to how, and maybe it's a choice, how visually striking the beginning part of the film is compared to this. When I think back on this film, I think of the first 
hour and a half, two hours, as opposed to yeah. this bit. This bit isn't iconic. This bit, unless I've missed the point, isn't great. No. I thought it was really poor. Yeah. Really, really poor. And uh, it just left me so wanting. Yeah, I want. I wanted the beginning again. I wanted yeah. that soundtrack. And it just doesn't. And then Lance's character had no end to it as well. I think I forgot no he was there to it. at this point. I completely forgot we he was there. We just kept on seeing him walking around. I was expecting him to get involved or do something, but he didn't. He just walked around. Yeah, because clearly at this point they've... Just s- like real surfers on drugs. They've sort of been released <laughs> because he trusts them or doesn't trust them. Yeah. And it... That, well, that that's not explained. It's not at all. It just sort of happens. But like... And I'm going to compare I, it to one of the best films ever made, The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Where you get Andy's character getting close to the warden of the prison doing him favours and stuff, and then you get the double cross at the end. Yeah. This film would have benefited from that. Do you know what I mean? Yes, Cut a bit from but... earlier and show Kurtz's character warming to Willard's and Willard lulling him into this false sense of security before he then murders him. And... There's yeah, there's no reason. You just cut from scene to scene, and it goes from being in a cage to being tied up to being free. Literally, and it just cut, 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 and he's free somehow. I, 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 yeah. And then, and then the colonel's character is just like, "Oh, you're probably gonna come kill me," and then doesn't do anything about it. And doesn't do anything about it, which is like massively out of character for what yeah. they built up. And they talked, they talked about for ages about how tough old. Bellary is and how he managed to do the parachute core training course when he was in his 30s or 40s and Willard's character could barely do it when he was 19 and like in the peak of his physical fitness just... so I, I was expecting a big showdown or something and him to be waiting ready but he's not he's just reading a book and doesn't really do anything Yeah, and he doesn't do anything with his troops and he just doesn't do anything anti anti-climax of the biggest proportions overall incredible soundtrack great acting great cinematography yeah that's a shame fantastic cinematography oh my god some of the cinematography was so good and sound design and everything like that it's brilliant A a lot of films save their best for last this film doesn't this film comes no. in and what? Comes in hot. Yeah, nine out of ten, and then off a cliff. Yeah, you've you've stolen my punchline for when I was going to do scores on the. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry about that. I mean, I think we're doing scores on the doors. Do scores on the doors. Do scores on the doors. So first section, first hour and a half, is a nine, nine out of ten. ten. I cannot argue with you there. Second, I was so excited second, for this. <laughs> second hour and a half and I'm doing the extended edition which is probably a lower score than if I watch the theatrical version because of the French bits second half two out of ten I wouldn't go that low but yeah it's low three Didn't three or it. four acting acting went crap plot went crap mm-hmm. it, it it genuinely is a two for me average it's very hard isn't it I pro- I think the problem is I wouldn't recommend somebody watch it. 
I'd recommend they watch the first two hours. Oh, the first half, yeah, and then stop. Watch the best bits on YouTube. Just, just, just watch it. <laughs> yeah, just watch it on YouTube. I'm gonna say seven. I think that that's too high. Beginning blew I, me I, away, so it's a you, it's a I, seven. But you have to look at a film as a whole film, and me saying us saying, watch the good bits on YouTube. <laughs> I can't. Five point five. Five point five. But the first half hour and a half of the movie, genuine, I'd watch. And I suggest other people watch. So yeah, Joel, there were four versions of this film. So you had the original, 1979 version. And Mm -hmm. there was a few variations on that in terms of the end credits, but pretty wholly the film was the film. Then in 2001, Coppola released Apocalypse Now Redux, an extended version that restored 49 minutes of scenes cut from the original films. Um, the longest section added was the French plantation sequence, which we've discussed um, about the family around the dinner table. Child recites a poem. <laughs> child gets told off. Child is sent away. People. Weird guy with the accordion. They argue about colonialism and the weird love interest. Simple. Great. Glad it's in there. Bit of bit, bit of opioid abuse. Just standard. Standard. Um, other material added included extra combat footage before Willard meets Kilgore, um, a scene in which Willard's team steal Kilgore's surfboard, um, a follow-up scene of a dance with the Playboy Playmates. We didn't even discuss those. Um, <laughs> That's because it's pointless. Yes, yeah, in which <laughs> Willard's team find the Playmates stranded after the helicopter has run out of fuel and they trade two barrels of fuel for two hours with the bunnies. That's awful. I am glad that scene was cut. Um, yeah. What the hell? And a scene of Kurtz reading from a Time magazine article about the war, surrounded by Cambodian children. None of those, I feel, added anything to the film for me. Nope. Glad they all went. Yeah. Um, Same. There is the first assembly, which isn't really an official version it was a video bootleg, which is basically everything they ever shot for the film ever, um, which someone stole and released, basically. So this has got scenes that didn't make it into any other versions of the film, and it was 289 minutes long. Wow. Yeah. And then in April 2019, Coppola showed Apocalypse Now, the final cut, for the 40th anniversary of the Tribeca Film Festival. This new version is Coppola's preferred version of the film and has a runtime of three hours and three minutes, with Coppola having cut 20 minutes of the extra stuff he added into Redux down. So the deleted scenes include the second encounter with the Playmates. Good. Yeah. Parts of the plantation sequence. So you did not see the longest version of that plantation sequence, Joel. It was longer. (laughs) What? Which might have been the version (laughs) I saw. God, is it long? And yeah, I don't remember the poetry bit yeah, with the child. Right, long. And Kurtz's <laughs> reading of Time magazine. It's an alright scene, but it really doesn't add anything. And yeah. this is the first time the film was restored from the original camera negative for 4K. So this was nominated for eight Academy Awards, Joel. Best Picture, Best Director... Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Robert Duvall. Best Writing. Best Art Direction. Best Cinematography 
which it won. Best film editing, a best sound, which it won. So it won two of its eight. Oh, the sound, yeah. I think they're the best two right there. Cinematography and sound deserve to win. You're right. Next week, we're watching Whiplash. Whiplash. Which, that kind of energy, you can do the outro. Oh, uh, oh God, it's harder. Um, <laughs> See, not easy, is it? I, lo- I love the smell of a outro in the morning. Oh, he's done well. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. You can subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice or follow us on Insta at 1001 Movies Not Seen Pod. We have new episodes every Thursday. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Oh, yeah. Jedi's oh. used to be like really posh, didn't Still they? Still going. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think we need any padding in this episode. Oh no, no. I just like having a chat. Oh, that's fair. Love a little chat.